0: A podcast
1: one production. Hi, I'm Christopher Pine, and welcome to Pine Time. For years, I've been on the receiving end of a barrage of questions, some would say abuse, from the media and other politicians. But I've tried to keep it together and hopefully I've had a successful career in politics. But now I'm out of the game. And I'm risking it all to step out of my comfort zone and embrace a new world of media, to turn the tables on my guests, so you can hear for the first time stories that you've never heard before, as they succumb to what some people are kindly describing as the Pine Effect. My guest today is Sarah Hanson young Greens Senator. But also a student politician, a bank teller, briefly, and a activist in all things, basically all her life. Sarah, welcome to Pine Time.
0: Oh, thanks for having me, Christopher. It's, it's
1: great to have you. Oh, it's
0: great to be here. It's, um, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that, um, you know, uh, when you left politics, I thought, what do we, when will I see Christopher again?
1: Oh,
0: here we are.
1: It'll get the tongues wagging.
0: I'm sure it will.
1: I don't think the Liberal ladies <laughs> of the Eastern Suburbs will be very players, although they're pretty progressive out there, actually.
0: I've always been impressed at the numbers of people, particularly women, actually, in that uh, Sturt electorate who cared a, a lot about the issues that I've cared about. Refugees, That's immigration. Used to give me quite um, a bit of trouble. Yes. Uh, human rights. And of course, more and more now, people are becoming more concerned about actually just the state of the environment. And not taking it for granted so much.
1: Well, I used to have um, colleagues come and speak to my Sturt FEC when I was the member, uh, especially, you know, young, ambitious up-and-comers, because I thought it'd be good for them to come and, you know, see what it's like in Adelaide and also get a bit of practice. And I remember after one meeting, Tony Smith, who ended up as the speaker, who's a very good friend of mine, said, gosh, that was more like a sort of Labor Party branch meeting than a Liberal Party branch meeting. I said, rubbish. He said, no, they are I was asked about refugees. I was asked about climate change. In my FEC, they ask about agriculture, tax policy, <laughs> <laughs> balance of payments. I said, yeah, I guess that's right. But I'm so used to it out here. We're sort of kind of, we're warm and dry out here in the eastern suburbs. <laughs> and, uh, and <laughs> Warm and dry. So we don't, we sort of cared about issues like that and still do, which is why South Australia has always been a bit of a liberal, smaller liberal town, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it has. And... um, partly one of the reasons why there is more generally just kind of independent voters. And I don't mean independent in terms of political party independent, just people who don't necessarily find themselves rusted on to one party or another, but actually vote on the issues. And so you have people from who might vote for you, Christopher, who vote for me in the Senate. Mm. I'm so, sure that's true. And there's quite a few of them in stir, Much as
1: actually. I don't want them to. Of course, I want them to vote Liberal. Well, um,
0: you know. I should yeah.
1: hasten to add.
0: Well, you know, I'd prefer they voted uh, <laughs> Green in the House as well. But, you know, it's about diversity. I think that's South Australia
1: is a very interesting state like that, isn't it? Which mm. wasn't, this is not part of what I was going to talk about, but it is interesting. Like, we've always been the state that embraced difference, like the Democrats, the Liberal movement, the Greens... So I have a theory about why South Australia is like this. Mm. I think it's because we were colonized as a free I state. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you
0: were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that.
1: I always say things like that, but yeah, no, it's, it's pathetic. Snorty. But I do think that's the reason. So when they had all those different religions here and all those different kinds of communities and ethnic backgrounds, it made South Australia such a melting pot mm. that they're very Community spirited, but they're also quite independent minded, as you point out. So yes. when somebody leaves the Liberal Party mm. or leaves the Labor Party and runs as an independent, they almost always get elected mm. <laughs> because people think, oh, yeah, no, I don't mind a splitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, do you know you went into parliament the same age as me? Yes. But 14 years difference.
0: <laughs> That's right.
1: I was 25 when I was elected.
0: And I was 25 when I and was And you elected.
1: were 25 when you were elected and then you mm. had to wait till, what, July 2008 to take yeah. your seat?
0: Yeah. So i just turned 20. Yeah, I was 26 by the time I took the seat. And that mm. is
1: super young.
0: Yeah. Do you remember yeah.
1: feeling very, very young when you were there? Like different to everybody else? I felt
0: very different to everybody <laughs> yeah, no, else. Me I me I, I felt very different. And particularly in, I mean, I don't know, I guess 14 uh, years earlier in the House was probably the same for you, but in the Senate... There's a lot of older people in the Senate.
1: I was going to get to that.
0: Um, so the, the, the difference was very stark.
1: And the Senate's very clubby.
0: It is a bit clubby. Mm.
1: No, it's very clubby, mm. but the senators don't think they're very clubby. Mm. But it's why one of, it's one of the reasons why senators who come down to the lower house often don't do nearly as well as they think they're going to. Mm. like Gareth Evans when he came down to the lower house and he was going to be, you know, the next big thing. We, all we youngsters, used to delight in twisting his tail and seeing if we could get him to explode. And it was one of the easiest things to do in the world because he was used to being treated with great respect in the Senate because he was the Senate leader
0: Mm. and
1: there was a kind of, you know, amerta between all the members. you treat the leadership with respect. But in the House of Representatives, the more... You expect to be treated with respect. The more people try and tease you into, you know, <laughs> <laughs> losing your cool.
0: Yes, yes.
1: And Gareth used to look around with this sort of stunned look on his face to say, "Well, why isn't the, spe- the speaker stopping these people from being rude to me?"
0: I know. Well, it always um, amazes me the rules that that you have in the in the house there, where people can just get thrown out. You know, an hour, two hours, yeah. and and uh, you don't
1: have a sin bin
0: no and in fact if you get thrown out the senate has to vote on throwing you out first oh, of all gosh. and and you lose your vote there's none of this kind of pairing there's none of this right. you can come back in an hour like it's <laughs> you know no, the sin bin is like you know off the team for it's the rest of the loose. game
1: it's a bit looser in the house of mm. representatives mm. than the senate which you'd think it'd be the opposite but so when you went into the senate at 26 and as you say, there were quite a lot of older gentlemen there, mm. and probably some older women. Mm. They must have looked quite askance at you and wondered what on earth they were going to do I, with such I, a young person. I,
0: I do think they, were, they they didn't know quite what to do with me. Um, I remember the first few weeks, I'd gone out before you know parliament. I'd you know been sworn in and bought all these suits. Oh yes, <laughs> and. I don't wear suits, Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> I, I quite like, you know, I like dressing nicely, so but I like dressing life? how I, um, how I, how I feel comfortable. And I'm walking around. I'm sitting there in these this big red bench, and i I felt totally lost. Like a
1: fish on a bicycle.
0: Oh, totally <laughs> a fish on a bicycle. Exactly. <laughs> it just did not suit me. And I just, went. I, after a few weeks, I thought this, this is ridiculous. So I put them all up on eBay and got rid of them.
1: Yeah. I was going to ask you actually, um, were there two or three people who thought I'll take her under my wing and make sure she doesn't get into too much trouble and see yeah, if
0: she can. Yeah, there definitely were. I mean, obviously I came in at the time when Bob Brown was still the leader of the party Mm -hmm. and, you know, he looked after me amazingly well and, you know, still to this day I miss him. I talk to him very often. He's, you know, effectively, you know, the kind of pseudo-grandfather to Cora, my daughter. So he was, you know, he was wonderful. But interestingly from the other side of, you know, the various different sides of the chamber, Judith Troth was somebody who really reached out to me. We love Judith. Um, She was wonderful, just so good actually. and. So, so my you did office something together
1: with Judith. Didn't you do the RU486 together with um, Judith? That
0: was just before I came in, oh, actually, okay. but that is how I knew of her. Oh. And my office, when I first came in, was opposite hers in the corridor. Right. And she was one of the first people to come over and say hello. And, she's a
1: super nice person. Oh,
0: she's wonderful. But
1: that's very Senate club, of course.
0: That is very Senate club. But yeah. then on the other side, Petro Giorgio... Really made a a point of coming and saying hello. And my first ever press conference in the Senate courtyard, of course, where we all do our press conferences, mm-hmm. was with Petro.
1: Oh, on, on what issue? on refugees? On refugees. Well, Petro was uh, very courageous on refugees, and of course, it cost him preferment mm. in in terms of promotion. Mm. So that was um, mm. that was a choice he made. I don't know if he would admit that even still, actually. But I mean, he's a good friend of mine. Very good friend of mine. But I think, um, look, unfortunately, in the major parties, I don't know what it's like in the Greens, but you can tell us if you swim in the opposite direction, it's very hard for the leader to overlook that and give you a, a Guernsey.
0: Look, but, I think that's the nature of politics, isn't mm. it? And. Um, what
1: are the Greens like in that respect? Well. Because you're all a well, bit more kind of loosey goosey, aren't you, in terms of.
0: Well, we're a smaller team. Unity. We're a smaller team. And so, therefore, um, we don't really have backbenchers to speak of either. So you no, can't, everyone's so got a ev- job. Everyone's got a job, mm. which creates two kind of issues, positive and negative. One is that everybody has a job, so therefore you have a sense of entitlement of responsibility and kind mm. of uh, independence or, or over your issue and, uh, you know, your portfolio responsibilities. So you've got a bit of leeway there. But the other issue is, of course, if you do kind of clash on something, you have to kind of cop it. There's no sending somebody to the back bench. You've just got to work it out and, you know, if... if uh, and they do. and,
1: and, and I do. think we're
0: pretty good at dealing with that. Mostly behind
1: closed doors.
0: Mo- we try and keep our dirty laundry to ourselves. Well, yeah.
1: actually, it's interesting. You're quite secretive, the Greens, <laughs> in as much as you've had leadership tensions over the years and yet... And when we have leadership tensions, which have been rather obviously transparent over the last <laughs> 12 years, and the Labor Party clearly has as well, I mean, the whole world knows about it, like from a daily sort of, it's like watching a soccer game or something, mm. you know. Whereas in the Greens, these things happen. I mean, you didn't you have a leadership ballot and no one didn't find out about it till a week later?
0: Yes. Um, oh, I, think it was, I, I think it was weeks later, actually. But can you imagine you know, that happening in the be-
1: major parties? No,
0: no. Because but again, that's because it's a small team. Mm. So there's not that many people to choose from. Everyone knows who you're voting for, everyone knows what you want. I mean, the the last leadership change from Richard De to Adam Bant was done by consensus. Right. We all knew it was going to be Adam and it happened. And is he happy? I think he's really is he happy. Enjoying actually. Himself? I think he is. He's
1: our only Marxist in the House of Representatives.
0: Oh, come on. I said that to him myself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't mind. He wrote a um he when he was at university, he was a self-described Marxist. And I went up to him one day during a vote on something, and we were just chatting away and bantering away. And I said, Look, I don't mind the fact that you're a Marxist, really, Adam, because you've got to have one Marxist out of 151. It's kind of part of the political spectrum.
0: What did he say to you? <laughs>
1: he just laughed. <laughs> he never quite knew how to take me, um, um, Adam, but yeah. I do like him. How do you end up in the Greens in East Gippsland?
0: Ah, so I was born in Melbourne and then my family moved to East Gippsland. Um, to work. To to work, but also my parents were
1: tree changers.
0: They were tree changers. Ah, original tree changers. Right. And wanted wanted their kids to grow up in you know, in the country actually and not, not in not in the city in Melbourne. Um it's a
1: long way from Melbourne, East Gippsland.
0: And back then when um, in Dad's uh, Mazda 808, it was a long drive. (laughs) (laughs) It was a long drive. So, yeah, so I grew up there. We kind of had a property that was about an hour, an hour and a half out of the township of Orbost. Mm -hmm. And so I was homeschooled for much of primary school actually because there was no primary school. Um, And then when high school came around, I moved into the local town. And Orbost is a... It's a timber town, or it was right. then. It's not as much anymore, but it was then. And so I was going to the local Orbost High School, and there was really two industries in the town at that point. It's it's diversified a lot now, but there was the logging industry and there was the dairy farmers. Right. And I was the kind of token greenie kid, were the
1: sole green.
0: <laughs> so um, <laughs> yes, I learnt a lot about diplomacy must have very early to on. Run fast. Yeah, I, um, you know, I learnt that despite where you come from, you can always find things to connect on. Sure. And that's really, that's probably the strongest thing I've taken from, from those years. And thinking back now, I was there at a time when the industry was drastically changing because of technology.
1: Timber and dairy. Timber
0: and dairy. Mm. And if you just take the timber industry, so when I was seven or eight, there would be 40 guys, and they were guys, who'd be employed week on, week off to go into a logging coop. And they'd camp out there and they'd, you know, they'd chop down the trees and they'd camp there for the week and they'd go home back into town and, you know, see their families for a week and then they'd go out. By the time I was in late high school, the technology had changed so much that they only needed two people. Right. Because... The trucks had uh, the saws on them mm. and you only need two people in case there's an accident.
1: Well, otherwise I could have had one.
0: <laughs> otherwise you'd just have one. So that is, so the transformation that that meant for local jobs and the economy was huge and a lot of people lost their jobs, mm. a lot of families lost their livelihood. And while there was a debate about the environment raging and, you know, forestry, actually the real issue was, the economy and the technology just taking jobs. So the town took quite some time to then have to re-establish itself.
1: And what did it move into? Well. Um, or did it just get smaller?
0: It's gotten smaller. It did get smaller. It started to grow again now um, and it's local tourism right. has become a real uh, boon in the area. The dairy industry, similar type of thing happened. There was used to be a lot of people on the farms and now there's less. Mm. So it's kind of. Um, value adding to those products now. So you're not just taking the milk and selling it off in a truck, you're turning it into cheese, you're making Mm. it into other things, you're making it into um, milk that then is sold to China, right? So it's not just, you're high value adding to all of those products. Yeah. But tourism, I think, is one of those areas that has really boomed. Although this whole uh, that whole East Gippsland um, environment was really devastated by this summer's fires.
1: Yes, you had a lot to say about that at the time, obviously because you knew a lot of the mm. people there, mm. and um, very badly affected.
0: Mm. And just the level of devastation at once. I mean, the it was fires very intense, so intense, mm. and the intensity of the heat actually in places like East Gippsland, where so just take my parents' property. It's cool-tempered rainforest. So, you know, big hills and then right down to, to deep gullies that um, lily pillies and ferns and very yeah. wet. Yeah. It's meant to be very wet. Down the bottom. And fires just rip through that, which mm. has just never happened before. No. So there is clearly something going on uh, with the climate and things are drying out. Um, so, yes, it, uh, nature has an amazing way. Of bouncing back if we allow it and we mm. help it, but we just don't know how long this will take because we've never seen it happen before.
1: No, then when did you move to Adelaide then?
0: Um, for university, actually. Right. So when and I was,
1: followed in my footsteps there too.
0: I, <laughs> I did. So, <laughs> Not in, that I knew at the time. In the sewer. Yes, South I Australian know,
1: University, the students' association the, of the University of know, Adelaide. Can you for those believe who that we used the, the, sewer in the
0: sewer? I know.
1: Natasha's doctor Spoyer. You, Penny, Penny Wong, even Andrew Southcott was involved a bit in the sewer.
0: I'd actually decided to only come here for 12 months. It was, it was a, I'd put my, I'd been accepted to a course at Melbourne Uni, but I'd wanted to kind of branch out a bit, come to Adelaide. And so I deferred my Melbourne Uni course for 12 months. Never looked back. And I never looked back. I loved it. I just fell in love with Adelaide.
1: Is it because of the size, do you think?
0: I think it's the size. It's, it's enough the... to
1: be big enough, but not too big.
0: It's perfect. Mm. It really is perfect. And, you know, before I'd been here two weeks and got a job at the Adelaide Central Market.
1: Oh, yes, which is so fantastic.
0: Stall 49, Reg Muller's, it was at the time. Right. We called it Reggie's Veggies. <laughs> and, um, I worked there for four years. Is that right? Yeah. What, yeah. from 18
1: onwards or something? Yeah. Is that, oh, before yeah. you were the bank teller? Yeah. I can't say you was a bank teller. No, I
0: didn't, it, I didn't really like it very much. No,
1: I can't see it. I didn't There's really like it. There's nothing wrong with being a bank teller, but it just doesn't sort of fit with my image of you.
0: No. I, so I was on... You were um, always a
1: bit cheeky. Oh, uh,
0: It wasn't for me, partly because actually, you know, working at the market and doing that type of... You know, that's how I paid to get myself through university. I was a cleaner. Yeah. You know, we all do these jobs, right? Because I loved it. it it's, um, I don't know, it's part of growing up and it being is. a young adult and, Course. you know, having to balance different priorities and pay your bills. For me, it was, you know, being able to pay my rent. But when I went to do the teller work, um, I was one of the relief tellers. So <laughs> I'd go from branch to branch depending on who was sick that day, mm-hmm. kind of like relief teaching but relief, mm-hmm. you know, tellering. And... You didn't get to
1: have any, dev- relationships, have any relationships with anybody. Yes, of
0: course. So uh, the customers or the other, st- the staff. So, yeah, it wasn't for that me. That
1: doesn't sound like fun at all. It wasn't really. So were you a bit of a radical at the uni? Um, were you in the Greens or the well, Communist the Greens, Party Greens The something? Greens
0: didn't exist at the time, actually. <laughs> they must
1: have existed at the time.
0: Not, not, not on campus. Is that right? No, on campus. no, no, they didn't. Where did the Greens go? Um, they didn't come on until basically, until I was... I'd left actually. Oh,
1: so you got yeah. elected as a pseudo independent. I did. Yeah, Natasha Stockton's boy. Yeah.
0: So I r- first ran, I don't know if you remember, but there was, yes, yeah, so and then there was the big Eye independent. Yes, that's yes. right. Um, <laughs> so I f- was first elected with them as environment officer. Right. And then I um, split. Then I ran on my own.
1: Oh. Yeah. I always surprised so everybody by getting elected. Do you know what my secret was? I know you were the president. I was only the vice president. Mm. Whenever I thought I was going to lose, I would put around a rumour that the engineers were out to get me. <laughs> 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 the engineers are really good. Lots of them were good friends of mine. And they'd say, Why are you saying that? I said, Oh no, it's terrible. The engineers are out to get me. I said, So all the lawyers have gonna vote for me. Otherwise yes. the engineers are gonna get rid of me. Yes. And all the law students would say, That's outrageous. Why are the engineers out to get you? I said, No, no, they hate the law students. So all the law students who couldn't otherwise be bothered voting. Would, would all go and vote yes. because otherwise they're trying to knock Piney off.
0: Mm, mm. <laughs> so you're yeah.
1: president for how long? A year. Oh,
0: those student elections they were crazy. They were crazy. And
1: but you learn you know, a lot in student politics.
0: Well, and Adelaide, of course, at the time, it's, you know. VSU, thanks to your, your lot, mm. um, has uh, a lot of responsibility to take for, for killing the campus culture, I Voluntary must say. Voluntary
1: student unionism <laughs> for those listeners who are not as au okay fait with these matters <laughs> that, that, as we that's are. That's right. Um, yeah. but,
0: back, but back in the day, like when I was there, and I'm sure it was the same for when you and Natasha and others were there, the uh, participation rate in the student elections at Adelaide University were the highest uh, voluntary election participation rates in the country. Is that right? Yes.
1: Well, they've dropped right down yeah. now, So it was
0: though. like 20%, 25%, which is just, like, that's higher than some... I used
1: to love student elections. Mm. I thought they were riotously good fun. And They
0: were. They because were. it was like... How, but I love elections.
1: Me too. But it was like kindergarten for um, school, student politics was like for... Real politics, right? And I know I shouldn't <laughs> admit that. <laughs> but how you behaved in student politics really did set the scene for how you behaved in politics because if you were a person who prepared to you know, do a deal and break it in student politics, you never, you never got out of that habit. Mm. So there were people I would stay away from because I'd think, oh, I remember you from student politics, you mm. were no good.
0: Mm.
1: So on elections, your first election 2007 was close
0: Yes, yes. Uh, I but mean, you've had
1: a couple of close ones.
0: Yeah. What, I, was, what was the hairiest? I think the 2013 election was the hairiest. But you almost
1: me. lost then, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. It took about a week or so for them to declare yeah. your seat.
0: I kind of knew on the night that I was going to win, but to make it, you know, to feel 100% certain, I really wanted to see some of those, um, uh, the absentee votes come in.
1: And the advertiser always says you're going to lose... But they always used to say that about me as well, and I could never work it out why. But I have a feeling—I shouldn't say this—but I have a feeling that they don't want us to lose, and so they say we're going to lose, or that people think we better vote for Sarah Hanson-Young because <laughs> she might. Lose.
0: I'm not sure. I'm not sure they I'm. Well, the media I, I like do, a bit of colour. They do like a bit of colour. They you're, do like you are colourful. Yeah, you're Look,
1: not a dull, dull senator at all.
0: Well, I—I I take it this way, Christopher, that we're there to get things done, and it's. It's a huge privilege to be there. It is. It comes, with, it comes with sacrifice. My daughter was born on the campaign trail in 07. She's now 13. You know, she's grown up as I've grown up through politics. There's been a lot of sacrifices with that. I'd want to make it worth it. You don't... Um, but,
1: you're, I mean, you're feisty. Well, and, you know, I mean, And we, it goes we, back to that original conversation about the clubbiness of the Senate. Mm, so, I mean, you would have... I thought when I got there in 25, at 25, I thought I knew everything and I was very overconfident, which mm. will surprise everyone. <laughs> 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 and, and I'm sure that John Howard and co thought, well, that man needs a bit of time to sort of come off the boil. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I never really did anyway, but I got along quite well with people. But I'm sure when you hit the Senate, a lot of people must have been thinking, goodness gracious, what do we do with her? And, but you've never really taken your foot off the accelerator, right? You've always been in your face, not my face, but in the face mm. of politics, mm. arguing. I mean, I don't always agree with what you say. In fact, I very rarely do. But I think I very much admire your sense of presence and purpose
0: mm.
1: and that if you're going Thank to be you. there, you might as well do, a, do something mm. and make a difference in whatever way you think, that that's in the benefit of the state and the country. And do you think that's why some of the men in the Senate have found you difficult to handle and have actually tried to, I think, crush that spirit Mm. over the years?
0: Yes, I think that's a fair assumption. I think when I first came in and for quite some time, there was a sense of, oh, who the hell is this upstart? Oh, well, we'll just have to rough her up a bit and, you know, shut her down. I don't respond well to that.
1: <laughs> doesn't seem, don't, you don't know, seem to have, no.
0: You know, look, I grew up in a small country town where, and my parents just, you know, nothing was ever handed to you. You make your own fun. You want something done, you do it yourself. And if you can find some people to work with you, well, you know, good. But also I've I've always had a very strong sense of, Yeah, and a strong sense of purpose. So there's no, I don't think there's any point being on this planet unless you're going to make the most of it.
1: You don't want to be a time server.
0: I'm not a time server at all, whether in life or in the parliament or anywhere else. And I think I'm also an optimist and I think that helps because you can be driven for change, and you can be prepared to take on some tough fights, and and be you know I, I've I've often found myself being the person asking the question that no one else wanted to ask, only then to have, you know, a, f- a little while down the track, people going, oh yeah, what about this? Mm. If I wasn't an optimist, then it would be very hard to sustain that. So I've got I I, well, I feel very Cora lucky. Cora is
1: an optimist as well.
0: She is a um, she's a remarkable human being actually, and I think one of the things about being a parent has really taught me to be clear about why I'm doing things and reminding me that, yes, there is a purpose. Why am I doing this? Being able to articulate that. She asks a lot of questions. Lots of kids do most kids do mm. um, and being able to have an honest conversation about that I think is really grounding for any parent but particularly a politician
1: it's also important for them to un- I've got four children as you know for them to understand that it's more important what they think of themselves than what other people think of them yeah and in politics that's really heightened yeah it's acute because they get their parents get criticized constantly mm. <laughs> and uh, and the with the internet now of course they can read all these things being written about their parents and if they're not grounded and believe in themselves, then they you know, could really go quite
0: off the rails. Yes. And I, you know, you were asking about the kind of some of those men in the chamber who mm. wanted to shut me down and, you know, really spent quite a few years.
1: Picking away.
0: Picking away. Mm. And, you know, for a long time. But I could
1: see that too, by the way. Mm. I mean, mm. despite the fact that I wasn't in your party, everybody else could say that was what was going on. Mm. It was because you were a feisty woman, mm. young, in the Senate, mm. with opinions, and a lot of those clubby men were thinking, well, if we all band together, eventually she might give up.
0: Yes, well. But that
1: didn't work out. No.
0: And, you know, for a long time, I just, I thought, oh, it'll go away. They'll, they'll wear themselves out.
1: But it culminated. But it that
0: culminated.
1: Terrible Lionhelm disaster.
0: It, it did. And that was really for me. When I called out what he had said, that kind of behavior had continued and continued to get to get worse. And once I called it out, I kind of knew I had to I had to follow through now. Mm. And I'm in I'm a much I mean a much better position now than I ever was, I think, because of that. I feel stronger. I feel uh, more driven, and you know, and and coming back to Cora and what you teach your children and what they teach you. When I told her what was going on, because it was in the papers, sure. it was everywhere. Shocking. I, and she was going to school and being asked about this, like I, she had to know what it from my my side of the story. Mm. And it, I said, you know, honey, we don't let the bullies win.
1: So, do you think that was the culmination of? a constant turning up of the temperature in the Senate chamber by that blokey, clubby, Mm. um, not all of them are like that, of course.
0: Oh, no, of course
1: not. Very few of them are, but there's enough of them to create a foundation where people think they can get away with something. Yes. And I thought, having watched this for years, thought to myself, well, Sarah doesn't want to hang a lantern on that because she doesn't want to be defined by that kind of argument because she wants to talk about the issues, mm. whether I agree with or not, that's fine, but that, you know, she's entitled to do that. Mm. Um, but obviously it got to the point where it culminated in former Senator Lionhill making that remark that you took great exception to and then you I obviously thought to yourself, right, well, you know, they've crossed, they've crossed the limit now and I'm going to have to do something about it. Yeah. Otherwise this is never going to stop.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I also knew that because I had called that out, it meant that they knew it affected me. Mm. So there's there's only, mm. (laughs) once you went. It's
1: a really difficult choice to make. It's a
0: really difficult choice to make. And I understand why women in particular who are in, uh, kind of caught in these situations in their workplace often don't call it out because it's very hard to follow through because then everything else dumps on top of you. Oh, well, see, we told you she wasn't up to it. Oh, she's making a thing of this. Oh, this is, you know, this is, this is, you know, if you can't handle the heat, get out of the kitchen. Mm. Which um, a lot
1: people used to say, but they don't say that so much these days.
0: No, but politics is a bit different still.
1: It's a bit old world. It, it is, true. and
0: the commentary around it still is. But and the way
1: we put, the way we treat each other in the chamber, even if you're still friends outside of it, like say Anthony Albanese and I can mm. be. I mean, you, but that wouldn't happen in a normal workplace. No,
0: it wouldn't. I it, mean, we
1: put up with it because it's part of the theatre, right? But most people would think, oh, no, "I can't, I couldn't behave like that in my workspace."
0: Well, isn't it interesting? Yeah, it, it, and I think that's what really shocked Australians when they so, saw all this happening with me. And I was inundated with letters and phone calls and emails from people, men and women, just appalled. And they said, if this had happened in our workplace, he would have been given the sack. Totally. And I guess that's kind of one of the reasons why I knew I had a responsibility to then really stand up and and, and as hard as it was. And you're right, Christopher, I didn't want to hang, hang a lantern on that for a long time.
1: Mm. Well, you don't want it to be the defining characteristic of your career, huh?
0: N- no. And
1: we should say, by the way, that matter's now resolved and was found in your favour, mm. and the settlement, I think, has been paid. Is that right?
0: Well, he's trying to appeal it at the moment. Is that right? So
1: Appealing the, the quantum?
0: It, appealing. He's appealing the, the finding. Oh. The money has been, it's in a trust, you know, held by the court, so we'll see what happens with that. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that
1: it'll, uh, be it'll be
0: resolved. But, you know, he, he doesn't want to take any responsibility for what he did, and some men don't. You know, I've always taken the view that, you know, if you behave badly, apologise for it. That's all you got to do.
1: And take the and consequences. Take the consequences. Yeah, it's a difficult subject to talk about, but I think we had to cover it.
0: Yeah, no. I, look, I think, it, you know, one of the things that's really been heartening out of it, though, is that so, so many people were appalled. They don't think that, A, our parliament should behave like this or, B, that this should be reflective of our society. The thing that really, really gave me heart was the men in particular who reached out, both within the parliament and outside, men I'll never meet, who have said, I, I, this needs to be better because I don't want my daughter growing up in this what kind of world. Thank you for standing up because this does need to change. And I think <laughs> sometimes we've got to give people a licence to change and being able to t- have it so public as as difficult as that, as that was for me and my daughter actually it's created a space for a lot of people to say you know what no we're going to we we're going to resolve things better than differently.
1: this differently yeah. yeah so one thing that's always I've always been fascinated about the greens is when you join up with the coalition to defeat something which I would have thought the Greens would have been in favour of. So, for example, the Carbon Pollution Reduction Scheme, the CPRS, mm-hmm. which, when the Greens joined with the coalition under Tony Abbott to um, send that off to committee and effectively kill it, which must have been 20... 2000 2010.
0: 2010. Yes. Beginning
1: yes. of 2010. And yep. then Kevin Rudd announced that they weren't proceeding with it. Mm. My immediate thought was, do the Greens make perfect the enemy of the good? Mm -hmm. And is that something that you think about at the time? Or do you think, right, well, we don't think that's going to do what we want to do for climate change in this case, so we are going to stick to our principle and vote against it. We're not going to be pragmatic. Or is that an argument that you have in the Greens?
0: It is an argument, and it's a discussion that we have about a lot of things, actually. And I think it's a constant testing of that some issues, you have to weigh everything up. You know, is this, is the principle so important that undermining that actually undermines? The
1: principle itself. the,
0: The principle itself. Or are there other moments where you go, okay, well, this isn't the most perfect piece of legislation or perfect outcome, but it does take us a step along the way? so we constantly look at things like that and they are the discussions and the debates and we we are we're a party that makes decisions by consensus so we we have a lot of party room meetings christopher <laughs> yeah, <I'm joking. laughs> you know you, you and La- <laughs> the liberal dreadful. and labor meet once a week in, mm, in parliament that's house plenty. we meet three times a week right. um and then some if it's a particular issue that's uh, occupying our minds so we do discuss these things a lot the CPRS issue is a really good example because I think a lot of history is being rewritten about that time. I think Ken Henry said something in, there was a Four Corners piece on this, it was about the CPRS and that kind of whole period and, right. you know, and not, and not just about the CPRS but climate change since that moment. Ken Henry made a really interesting point, of course, the, you know, former Secretary of the Treasury Department. Yes. And he said that Kevin Rudd was trying to do two things with the CPRS. One, deliver on his promise that he cared about climate change, but two, he was trying to kill Malcolm Turnbull. Oh. And that's effectively what happened. He did. And so for us, uh, you know, it was Kevin was playing Russian roulette.
1: With the environment. With
0: the environment. Mm. And he, he didn't, he, he was not prepared to speak to the Greens about it. The legislation, as it had been drafted... We debated it very hard in, inside the party, and it was quite clear to us that locking this in would be worse than doing nothing at that time. Now, you've you know, you throw forward and you think, okay, so what's happened? We've had you know, Malcolm was rolled by Tony Abbott, yes, Kevin was rolled by Julia,
1: obviously, Malcolm came back,
0: <laughs> and of course, <laughs> in 2010, the Greens implemented. Far superior legislation on climate change with Julia Gillard, but that was torn down.
1: Well, that was one of the reasons, of course, that she went under the chariot wheels as well. But it was a very tumultuous time. It was, as I've written about in my book. It
0: it, it was indeed. So, I mean, I, I think about, you know, was that the right decision? People ask a lot. You know, is was that it was in hindsight was that a good decision? It was the decision we made at the time because it was the best decision then and I still think it was, I'm not going to cop anyone's criticism that it's the Greens' fault that you know the L- Labor and Liberal Party roll their own leaders and that's not our fault. I think we can
1: take responsibility Just. for our own actions in that respect. And you've only been there two years, right?
0: Yes. So yeah. you
1: were very, very early in the piece. Now, what's the ambition for Sarah Hanson young What does the future hold for you? How much longer do you want to stay in the Senate and... Be leader of the Greens, or are you happy to do what you're doing I'm, now? I'm. Do you want to have a second or third career, bank telling, <laughs> politics, and then I something else?
0: I, you know, having my own podcast sounds pretty good, Christopher. <laughs> um, doing very well. <laughs> shy time. We shy can call time. Them. That's right. <laughs> um, not for the shy hearted. Um, <laughs> um, look, I, I'm really quite. I'm really quite happy at where I am at the moment. Obviously, the last election was a huge vindication for me. Uh well, you, you know, had it a came, great result. I, I, I really felt like South Australia backed me and I'm forever grateful for that. And it had come off the back of dealing with a lot of this stuff in the parliament and I feel like now with... Oh, the, gosh, it
1: must have been a very um, it was a, stressful time.
0: It was a very, very full-on 12 mm. months you know, between the Lionhelm case. In fact, you know, in the middle of the election campaign, two weeks out from polling day, we had the trial right. and I was in the witness box for three days. Like in the, it was Brilliant. just, it, it was an incredible 12 months, but I'm stronger than I've ever been. And I'm a better politician than I'm ever, I've ever been. I'm better representative from South, for South Australia. So Yeah, I'm pretty happy where I am. I've got another five years of this and...
1: Then you can wait and see.
0: Yeah, I'm... I still love it, you know. I think...
1: 13 years, it'll be 18 by the next election. Mm. You'll probably start thinking after that, I wonder if there's something else.
0: Yeah, I don't know. But for now, now I just love it.
1: I got to the point where at 51 I thought if I'm still in politics at 65, I will have been in Parliament for 40 years Mm. and I'll look back and think that wasn't very imaginative. Mm. <laughs> there, must have been there must have been something else out there for it's, me.
0: It is that, um, but politics is changing too. You know, how we engage with the electorate, how we engage with each other. It's It's changed a lot in the 13 years that I've been there. Mm. And it's definitely, I'm, I definitely do the job differently than I did when I with, in my first term.
1: And you also have fun with it, right?
0: Yeah, I love it.
1: Which is a big thing. If you can turn up to work every day and think it's going to be fun, even if it's a nightmare. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and you oh, still look, there, I mean, there
1: and you still go to bed at night thinking, oh, well, this is the greatest job I've ever had.
0: Yeah. Then it, and
1: it keeps you going. And that's why I see you and I and people like us, we can go on forever doing that.
0: Yeah. I, I think being an optimist helps. I think being someone who's not afraid to speak out helps because you always can prepare you can spice things up pretty quickly
1: when I wrote my um my book The insider which is coming out at the end of June we had seven leadership changes in 12 years Wow
0: crazy wow and every
1: one of those days was a nightmare
0: yeah oh then you know there are days that are awful
1: the last one was the worst when Malcolm was mm. um, Uh, changed um, because that didn't happen in a day that was like a battle of the Somme that went on (laughs) that was was Monday to Friday it was a terrible terrible week anyway thank you so much for joining me on Pine Time
0: thanks for having me I've really enjoyed it it's been good fun and uh, good luck thank you
1: Pine Time was presented by me, Christopher Pine. Audio production by Darcy Thompson, produced by Matt Dwyer and the ever-patient executive producer, Jennifer Goggin.